Good morning, and thank you for your great, great singing. I know my wife Sue leaned over to me right away and said, "Man, it's great to hear a congregation sing so strong." And uh, that's hard to find anymore. And we thank the Lord for that. I'm Jack Kranz, and some of you, when you first met me, some of you know me a long time. Brian Ferguson, where's Brian? Right there, way in the back. Brian, I'm looking at him and saying, "That guy looks so familiar." And uh, Brian and I go way back into our region, and um, I'm. 61. When I came here, our boys were 8, 4, and 12, and uh, right now our boys are 30, 34, and 38. So for some of you that began to support us that many years ago, you have stayed faithful to us over those years, and we want to thank you for that. That was back in the days when uh, some of the same faces are here today. We're in that uh, missions committee that took us to a home and interviewed with us and gave us a wonderful lunch and prayed with us and and I remember Carol Sant, who was a, a dear lady that I remember so well, that was so supportive in those early uh, months and weeks and years. And um, God's brought us through a, an awful lot over these years. And there's no way in the moments I have today to encompass uh, everything. But my wife said, honey, are you going to preach today from the Word of God a Christmas message? Or are you going to um, update the ministry? I said, I'm going to try and do both. And um, so that's going to be tough in 35 minutes, but I'm going to do it. And Brubaker family... Uh, you know them very, very well. They're a great part of this church, Leon and Mary, and David, Luke, and Emily that are with us today, and the rest of the gang, the first generation that came through their, uh, her womb and her family. And, but Leon and Mary uh, serve with us at uh, County Corrections Gospel Mission. And so when you pray for Leon and Mary, uh, you're praying for precious servants who serve alongside of Sue and I and our missionary team uh, based there in the Coatesville area. We base actually at the Old Mill Bible Conference, which was started back in the days with Donald Barnhouse and uh, um, Dr. Uh, William Allen Dean and um, other great men, uh, writer of the Schofield Bible, um, at least the notes of the Bible, Clarence E. E. Mason uh, from those days. But um, great, great heritage at the camp at the Old Mill. And um, so we thank God for that being our base of ministry. And uh, we did bring this brochure. We're not, this is really just a flash in the pan of what really goes on. And that's why I really don't like doing this kind of stuff because it doesn't cover much at all. But they are in the back on the table. Um, It'll give you a little insight into what you support. Um, But what it doesn't do is really go into depth in in some of the most exciting things we do, which I'm not really allowed to put into print. And so I'll talk a little bit about it today. Um, But a lot of things we do, we can't write. And we don't want to write. And um, we ask you not to ever put across the airwaves, but we thank God for the doors that he opens. Uh, It wasn't many weeks ago, Leon uh, was actually um, driving home from uh, one of our kids' clubs when he was not only lied against in the van, but he was literally uh, beaten as he arrived in Coatesville, um, right there at uh, 3rd Avenue and Lumber Street. Uh, Leon knows what it is to take physical blows from adults um, in in a ministry that's literally in darkness. And... um, we pray that you are praying for us. Uh, I kind of leaned over to my wife and said, you know, honey, uh, what kind of support does Grace Baptist give to us? And if you read my letters, which I do send to you every single month uh, to the missions committee, and I hope they post them in some way, um, oftentimes I will say to you that um, your prayer is the greatest resource we have. And if you're not praying for us, then I'll, I'll honestly say to you in love, you're robbing us. It's not about your money, it's about your prayer. And if you believe in prayer, and I know you do as a congregation, uh, someone just a moment ago said that dear lady over here in the blue 
uh, blouse uh, brings her neighborhood kids to um, the church. Am I right? Am I wrong? Did I hear that wrong? Who does that? You bring your neighborhood kids to, to church sometimes. I wasn't sure which one. Um, but as I think about uh, your ministry to the children in your own backyard, um, that's near to me. That's very dear to me. And so this morning, as I think about my life and the ministry God's given us, um, it's the jail that in many ways, um, I believe, in accordance with God's Word, that has defined our ministry. God's Word first, but the jail second. And what we've done over the years is respond to the heart cries from inside the jail. And those heart cries are the very same heart cries you heard from the prophets of old. They're the same cries you heard from the lips of Jesus on the temple court the day he was arrested. The cries haven't changed. The needs haven't changed. And believe me, if you want to talk about a region in darkness, what do you think? Do you think we're in a region of darkness today? You read about it this morning. And I was just reading in your bulletin that quick missionary scoop about the changes in Libya since the uh, putting away of Gaddafi and how quickly Sharia law has stepped in. Um, We're in a dangerous time, folks. And so as you sing with all your hearts, I want to challenge you this morning before I'm finished. I hope you're a praying church. I really do. Let's just bow together. Father, I ask this morning that in the moments we have, that um, you'll help me, Lord, not just to um, be faithful to your word, because, Lord, that is what you promised to bless. But I pray also, Lord, as a missionary of uh, Grace Baptist here in Millersville, that I will be faithful, Lord, in, in giving some understanding, Father, that only you can give to this church in what we do, why we do it, and how urgent and timely it is at this hour. So we thank you for this privilege, this open door. Thank you for Pastor Joel opening his pulpit just so close to Christmas. And Father, I pray uh, your anointing upon this church uh, in the days to come. I pray that as a result of this message this morning, uh, none of us will be the same as we were when we came in this room. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, again, I wish I could spend more time doing it, but I, I, I mean with all my heart, and I know my wife joins me, um, when the day came when Leon and Mary Brubaker stepped into our life, it was a wonderful, wonderful day. And we are enjoying their company and their fellowship, and um, they have served uh, so honorably. And I'm asking you to continue to support, pray for them. I'm not sure how you support them other than prayer. Uh, you may be supporting them through their other mission. Um, they really do not get paid through county corrections. They are paid through another mission, and believe me, it's nothing you could live on. And um, God has um, put a roof over their head uh, through a dear lady in a nursing home that I'm POA for, and, and so God's done that miracle to put a, a roof over their head. And, um, and yet, uh, I just ask you to know this morning, um, you know his cabinet skills, you know his building skills, and um, he's using them all for the glory of the Lord and pouring that into his children, as you know, and continues to do it even into his young people. David and Luke are also great woodsmen. And uh, maybe Emily too. I'm not sure. Are you using your hands too, Emily, in that wood? You are too. Yeah, you are too. So let's, again, turn to, if you will, Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. And I'll use that as a backdrop this morning. It was ironic and not ironic that Pastor decided this morning to read from Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7. Very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And if you go back to chapter 8, a little more difficult because a lot of times we understand the New Testament understanding of 
of Isaiah chapter 9 where um, we oftentimes um, have a difficult time with the history out of which it came. Now, again, if I was to mention the name Isaiah in most messages lately from me where I've mentioned Isaiah in a passing note, I've oftentimes referred to the first chapter of Isaiah. And the reason I've referred to it in just a passing was I often say as I go to many churches, and hopefully it doesn't apply to you, but I find oftentimes that if you go to the first chapter of Isaiah, you'll see that the prophets spoke in a generation where the people of God were extremely turned away from Him. And they were extremely uh, disobedient to Him. And their worship had become a mockery. And Isaiah said to them that they were sick. He said from the words of God that the people of God were sick from the head to the toe. And if you read Isaiah 1, it, it basically uh, says in there that God says in very clear terms that He hated their, their, their acts of what we would call worship. He hated their feast days. He hated their uh, assemblies around the seasons of the year. He hated um, their solemn assemblies, their times of solemn prayer. Their sacrifices really um, came up to him as a mockery. And if you were to put that in modern-day terms, um, it would be quite staggering, I think. It would be something like God saying, I hate your choirs. You know, I hate your communion service. I hate your prayer meetings. Can you imagine a prophet coming in here and saying that to you? That the very things that you feel make you quali- kind of qualify you as a church, that God would send a prophet to say, that's not how I feel about what you're doing. One of the issues with God has always been not only what we subscribe to in our faith and in our worship, but also how we're really fleshing it out in our daily lives. Even Jesus said on the temple court in Matthew chapter 23, He said to His obedient followers, He said in Matthew 23, He said, listen to what the Pharisees are teaching you because they teach Moses' law. But do not do what they do. Don't be anything like them because they'll cross an ocean to make one convert just like themselves and they'll be a child of hell just like the Pharisees are. I mean, Jesus did not like the behavior of the religious of His day. There was a separation from the very people that broke the heart of God. That's why I'm delighted this morning to see you bringing your neighborhood children. The jail to me, and it's where I have spent my life since I was really been 18, and in my years since then, I've come more and more and more to see that right now in my prison and pretty much across the nation, in my jail, about 96% of our women are someone's mother or grandmother. In my jail, more than 75% of our men are someone's father. And believe it or not, I think your county jail in Lancaster has more people incarcerated in it than mine does in Chester County. Matter of fact, our numbers are dropping right now where they went from 1,000 down to just over 900 over the last couple of months. I'd like to think it's because of what we're doing in jail and what we're doing in the community, but I might be wrong. But I can tell you this morning that we serve a God who is concerned with those people that are perishing and on their way to hell. And we're concerned with a God who cares about the fatherless, cares about the poor, cares about the stranger in the gate. And I really believe that God is also concerned about our governments. 
He really is. He told us to pray for all in authority. He told us to remember them as His servants, His ordained servants. And a big part of the ministry that God has given to me over the years, we also have, we have a ministry to children. My wife actually had the heart for reaching the children in our housing projects back in the 80s. We've been doing that. That's why I think God gave us the camp at Old Mill for $75,000. He gave us that blessing of that camp because it was only seven miles from downtown Coatesville's children. God honored that. God gave us the rescue mission, the city gate, for a dollar bill from DuPont way back in 1989, though it works since 1980. We've seen God give us wonderful ministries based on the heart cries of prison. And we've seen God open unbelievable doors in the world of criminal justice with leaders. This afternoon, I am going to actually be at a police department as close as it can be to the Valley Forge Park, the Tredifferent Police Department, right off the 202 exit, Paoli exit of the 202 bypass going towards King of Prussia. I'll be there at 3 o'clock this afternoon, the Lord willing. I'll be sitting down there this afternoon in a meeting with, with a, a great man named Dr. Peter Lilback, who happens to be the president of Westminster Seminary, but Dr. Peter Lilback has written several books, but one of them he just recently wrote a, a bestseller on George Washington's sacred fire. And how in the worst encampment of Valley Forge, when this nation was down for the eight count, prior to the Constitution, prior to really what would come in the Revolutionary War, in the darkness of Valley Forge, when men were dying in nakedness and freezing to death and disease, and there was no hope for this nation and we have taken for granted, a man named General Washington bowed his knee and began to seek God for his troops. Things began to change. And even today, I really believe this afternoon in my meeting, not only is Dr. Peter Lilback coming because I've asked him to, but the audience of a few people in a small circle will be commissioners and, and leaders in the, in the Pennsylvania State Police listening to this man give testimony about what happens when leaders bend their knee to God. I don't know about you, but I think America needs a leader who bends his knee to God and sighs and cries over the nation. And I believe we need the same thing in the pulpits of our land. Don Weaver, you may know that name, Don Weaver, Yon Evangelized Fields Missionary, gave his life to the Haitian people. Pray for him. He's going through his third cancer surgery for melanoma on his nose. He gave his face to the Haitian son for a career of missions. And now, probably in his early 80s, he's suffering about his third bout with melanoma. And I know that this man just recently wrote to me from Florida. And even he said, he said, and even Dr. Rennie Showers, another name that you know very well from Friends of Israel, both of these men have said to me in the last couple months, Jack, you're asking for the message of repentance to be heard across the land. These, these two great men have said to me, they like to hear the message of repentance coming from pulpits. We're never going to hear it across the land unless we hear it in pulpits. The need for God's people to turn to God in desperation. Isaiah 66, 2 has, has been a blessing to me over the last several months, maybe the last year. I'll, I'll give it to you almost verbatim. Isaiah 66, 2 
God says, I will look to the man who is poor. I will look to the man who is contrite and to the man who trembles at my word. The word poor there literally means desperate. God says, I will look to the desperate. I will look to the broken. I will look to those who tremble at my word. And I've been saying in every pulpit I can say it in, if there's anything that ought to be the mark of a church today, it ought to be those three things. Now, you didn't sing like you were desperate this morning. Because, see, desperate doesn't mean you're going around with your face long. What it literally means is that you realize that unless God steps in and does what He can do, you're desperate. For all these little guys that stood up here this morning, aren't you desperate for them before God? Since I came here as a young man with my wife, again, I told you, 4, 8, and 12, we've been able to see God put every single one of our sons in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ at 30, 34, and 38. And how we thank God for three sons that love the Lord and are serving the Lord. Are we desperate for them this morning? Yes, we are. Are we broken before God for our nine grandchildren, none of which we had when we came here the first time? Yes, we are. Do we tremble at God's Word? Do you? This is serious stuff. When you sing like you sing, I'd like to believe you're an Isaiah 66-2 church. That you're a church that literally is bowing its knees and its hearts before God for this moment in time. In this passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 8, we know that Isaiah, married to a woman in verse 3, referred to as the prophetess. I'll just read this quickly. Moreover, chapter 8, verse 1 of Isaiah, Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write it with a man's pen concerning Meher Shalahashbaz. Now, this would be a son that would be born in their family, in their home, born to Isaiah's wife. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record at the time Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. And I went unto the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. And then said the Lord to me, call his name Meher Shalahashbaz. Meaning, in making speed to the spoil, he hasteneth his prey. A prophecy that what was coming upon the people of God was going to be a time of great destruction and scattering and war, and it was imminent. And God's people in, in southern Judah were to be called to God to be obedient, but in the north of Israel and in line with Syria, Assyria was coming down upon them ferociously and fiercely. In verse 4 it says, Before the child, Meher Shalahashbaz, shall have knowledge to cry or be old enough to say, Daddy and Mommy, the riches of Damascus, the capital of Syria, and the spoil of Samaria, the capital of Israel, will be taken away before the king of Assyria. Pretty clear language. There's spoil coming, there's a day of judgment coming, and it's coming soon. Before this little newborn can speak mommy and daddy, that's how quick these nations are going to fall prey to Assyria. 
How comfortable does America sit today? Where are we going to be in November of 2012? Can you picture the streets of America City peaceful for the next election or on fire? Can you imagine America in chaos? Have you ever seen her like that? At least close to that. I have. I'm a child of the 60s. I remember those days. The civil rights and the wars in our streets. There are some that believe, and I'm not far from believing it, that there is clearly a desire to pit the rich against the poor and the poor against the rich in this nation. And believe me, America may not be able to hold a free and peaceful election in 12 months. Is God holding His mercy over us at this very moment? What do you think? Habakkuk chapter 2, or chapter 3 and verse 2 is a prayer I think that I have come to love. Habakkuk 3, 2, it says this, Lord, in the midst of years, revive your work. And in your wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. Great, great prayer. I think it's an intelligent prayer. It's a wise prayer. Lord, would you revive your work in the midst of the years? In your wrath, Lord, would you remember mercy? You think that's a great prayer for Grace Baptist this morning? Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Is there any sense in this church this morning where there is this sense of urgency, this sense that things are very, very dangerous right now. As pastor prayed this morning, you prayed for a brand new little baby boy. I believe you prayed in that prayer, maybe for Hunter or the, maybe one of the other children you prayed for. And I appreciate those specific prayers. And you even got my attention as you kind of named the year when he was going to be 50. And I thought about Malia, my granddaughter, who's 11 and Kayla, and Nadia, and Ian, and Hunter, and Clayton, and Wyatt, and Blaine, and Eden, and the ones still in the womb. Do they want Pa, which is what they call me? Are they going to remember me as a man who handled the Word of God and handled it with such slothfulness, without any passion, without any brokenness, without any desperation for God, without any trembling before Him, without any sense that this nation truly is in need of repentance. It is a measurable fact that some of the greatest signs of repentance and the moving of the Holy Spirit in this world today, in this country today, are taking place inside of prisons and not in churches. You're in a Awana church. I happen to see that in your bulletin. So I'll throw this at you. I'm very involved with Awana. Not Awana clubs, but although I'm 100% behind them. You've probably read about it if you read Awana material, but you know what God did in Angola prison in Louisiana. A jail 5,600 strong, the most violent in America. Today, one of the most exemplary, peaceful prisons in America where inmates that are doing life, they were first-degree murderers, 
and they are doing life and they, the inmates are pastoring churches inside the halls and walls of Angola prison and those congregations are 900 strong. Inmate pastors. They brought in New Orleans Baptist Bible College and began to teach the inmates how to be pastors and Bible teachers and they've graduated probably over 300 lifers from Bible Institute with seminary degrees. Not only that, but God began to break their heart over the fact that many of them were dads and they were never going to raise their own kids. And God began to break their hearts about being dads and they began to seek God. How can we do something to reach our children? We're never going home. We're going to die in this prison. Average sentence is 45 years to, to life three times. And they went to their warden, Burl Kane, and Burl Kane went to Awana. And Awana sent them Linden Ascuna. And Lyndon Ascuna went to Angola prison and there with the prisons developed Malachi dads. Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 that God would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers lest he would visit the earth with a curse. Malachi dads, inmates at Angola prison are preaching repentance. And they're bringing people like you and me inside their walls to hear them cry over the need to get sober before God. The chapter continues. The Lord spoke, verse 5, also unto me again, saying, For as much as this people refuses the waters of Shiloh that go softly and rejoice in Rezin and Ramalia's son, now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. The, he shall reach even to the neck. And the very stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of the land. O Emmanuel. This place in which God dwelled. God says you have chosen the fierce rivers of Assyria. You've, fear, you've chosen the destruction waters of Assyria when you could have chosen the quiet waters of Shiloh. When you could have had my presence and worshipped me in spirit and in truth. Instead, you've turned from me and you've asked for the waters of destruction of Assyria. We know that these waters came upon Israel, upon Syria, and even into the northern borders of Judah and began to destroy and destroy the people of God. In verse 9, associate yourselves, O you people, and you shall be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you of far countries. Gird yourselves, and you will be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and you will be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to nothing. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. And, and basically, what he's, what he's dealing with here is, is some who want to turn away from the Lord and some who want to begin to trust in man's alliances and man's ideas and man's programs. And, 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 and the prophet's saying, listen, trust the Lord. Verse 13 says, sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. He will be for you a sanctuary, but for them a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel for both a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 16, Bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon the Lord. Verse 17, That hides His face from the house of Jacob, and I will look to Him. There's a call here in the most difficult hours in Israel's history 
particularly to the people of Judah, those that would, to turn their hearts to the Lord, to sanctify the Lord in their hearts, to take Him seriously and soberly. So many turned away from the Lord in a most dangerous, dangerous time. Now, I'm just trying to give you some context here, and I'm rushing because, again, I have to move through this message quickly. Look in verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwells in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto wizards that peep and mutter, should not people seek unto their God for the, for the, should people seek unto their God for the living of the dead? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now, one of the things I'm seeing today, I'm seeing it all around us. I've invited Congressman Joe Pitts. He's your congressman, I presume. He'll be with me this afternoon. He's coming to my meeting. Another man named Colin Hanna has a ministry called Let Freedom Ring. Peter Lilback, many of you hear about David Barton, the wall builders ministry out of Texas, and so many people trying to kind of turn America from the direction it's going. And a lot of them are doing it by just saying, let's go back and see what the forefathers did, and let's go back and look at this and look at that. And it's great to look back in history and see that. But really, I really think we need to go to the law and the testimony. What is it that God wants us to do? And I really believe that what God wants us to do as a nation is to really be desperate before Him like we've never been before. To be desperate for our children, to be desperate for our marriages, to be desperate for the life of Grace Baptist Church. God has blessed you. Look how full you are this morning and you're missing 40. It's a blessing to see a full church. Don't see that much. I could talk to you about a church back home. I won't say which one it is and where it is, but I can tell you right now, they have already voted. They want to leave where they are. They want to leave where they are. And I can tell you something right now. They are surrounded with the greatest opportunity to reach some of the least and lost and most available children and youth any church could ever have available to their doorstep. They voted to leave. What Bible are they reading? What songs do they sing this morning? We have a God who reaches into the darkness. He always has. He always has. When we started CityGate Mission back in 1980, the name CityGate comes from Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom cries in the gate of the city. She holds out her hand. And she says, how long will you fools love your foolishness? And you that are simple, your simplicity, turn at my reproofs. Because your day of calamity is going to come like a whirlwind. And when it comes, God says, you're going to cry out to me. But I will not hear you. Because in the day I held out my hand to you, you refused it. And City Gate was planted in 1980. It's been faithfully there since that day. I can honestly say since August of 1980, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached and read and made available to Coatesville's darkest area since August of 1980. There's never been a day on the calendar that the Word of God has not been preached 
and sown in that section of Coatesville. And I've always said, I've always said, City Gate never had to be successful. It just had to be there. It had to be there. Why? Because light always shines in the darkness. That's the God I know. Read the end of the book of Jude. We're to keep ourselves in the Holy Spirit. But we're to be rescuing those that are ready to perish, pulling them out of the fire, keeping our own garments from being in the stench of all this world throws on them. Faithful is He who is willing to present us to Himself in that final day. Grace Baptist Church, it's hard for me to speak to you this morning in these moments we have, but I'm really saying to you this morning, as as you read so comfortably Isaiah chapter 9, and Isaiah 9, which, which talks about again in that place of great darkness, a light coming. And of course, we know that was fulfilled in part in the coming of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 as we see that. And then we see the promise of a child born and a son given. And of course, we know that that's the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it talks about His unending rule, His unending rule. Let's look at that in context quickly, and, and I'm almost done. I asked Pastor what time we're done, and he told me, so I'm, believe me, I know what time it is. But just quickly, just quickly, I want you to see this in context. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. It's interesting, in Matthew 4 verse 12, notice when this prophecy comes back into the Scriptures that we just read in Isaiah 9. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, when Jesus had heard that John the Baptist was cast into prison, Jesus then departed into Galilee. When John was arrested, placed in prison, in days or weeks beheaded, put to death, his ministry done, when John was arrested... Jesus entered the region of Galilee. He left His home, Nazareth. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. That same region we're reading about there in Isaiah, where Assyria came down to destroy, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, to the people which sat in darkness, saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now watch. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what was His message? What was the first words Jesus preached? Repent. Dear brother of mine in the Lord... He's probably in his mid-80s. Wrote a great book called Repentance. The first word of the gospel. Dr. Richard Owen Roberts. Matter of fact, this weekend he was at Angola prison with Lyndon Ascuna for the Christmas party of Malachi Dads for the second time. Can you imagine a bent over 85-year-old man who in my mind kind of reminds me of an angry prophet like Amos? Just a bent over little man. It probably weighs less than 85 pounds. 
but he stands up to preach repentance. And one thing that Dr. Richard Owen Roberts says today is the first word of the gospel, whether Jesus is speaking it, whether Paul preached it, whether Peter preached it, the first word of the gospel is repent. A dear brother of mine in the Lord, Peter Dugalescu, was a former senator in Romania, one of the first Christian senators in Romania after the fall of communism. It was Peter Dugalescu who was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Timisoara under the great oppression of the atheistic regime of Ceausescu. It was Peter Dugalescu that was, was attempted to be assassinated at least two or three times. He was in our home. He preached at our camp. He's now home with the Lord. He remembers growing up in a Baptist family in Romania under the regime where they had to smuggle Bibles into Romania. And he remembers the dirty word that he was called when he went to public school in Romania under atheism. And the dirty word he was called as a young man growing up in Romania was this, you're a repenter. You no good repenter you. And Peter Dugalescu grew up thinking he was one of them, a repenter. Well, let me tell you, Grace Baptist Church, this morning, I can't think of a greater church that would support our ministry than a church that would call itself repenters. Because when we lose sight of the fact that we are repenters, we've probably lost sight of the very people who are dying without Christ. I sat in front of one of my deputy wardens last week. I said, Jack, one of the reasons I think God has kept me in jail so long is because I've still never yet met a man or woman or boy or girl in all my years in prison, near to 40 now, who needed Jesus Christ more than Jack Kranz. I never have, I never will. And the longer I live, the more I'm going to tell you this morning, I'll be happy to claim Isaiah 66 too. And I hope God's paying attention to me this morning. And if it means I have to be desperate and I have to be broken and I have to be trembling at His Word, then Lord, I want to qualify for Your attentiveness in my life this morning. How about you this morning? Would people come here if they thought you were a church filled with repenters? Broken people, desperate people, people who trembled at the Word of God. And by the way, the thing I can't tell you much about, and I don't write much about, is probably the most exciting thing we do. We meet with some of the finest police officers in the world. They're guarding the President this morning in the White House. I'll give you one. His first name is Mark. Another one, Ken. This coming Tuesday, I'll be with a young man that marched the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington, one of those great sentinels there. He's now in the Pentagon working in a very strategic place. His name's Michael. He's a major. I think of a young man named Nick, who's one of the leaders in, in human trafficking right now in Washington, D.C. You know, God says we're to pray for those who are in authority because they are ordained by God to keep the peace. We call it the thin blue line. One was just killed last week at Virginia Tech. Father of five children. Shot by a... I still don't even know why. Nobody knows why. Why this 23-year-old kid, good-looking kid, Dean's List, would just kill a sergeant of police with five little kids. 
It's happening every 31 hours. But I'm going to tell you something. We take it for granted. But since God ordained government in Genesis chapter 9, since He ordained government in Genesis chapter 9, God chose to raise up an authority ordained by Him that has His authority and His mark of approval and His seal that has the obligation to keep the peace until Christ comes again. Pardon the expression, but I mean it for what it really means. When hell breaks loose in America, and it's breaking loose every day in some places, in some families, in some neighborhoods, who has to go in? Who has to face the monsters? Who has to be willing to die? Who had to go into the World Trade Tower? I hope maybe some of you came to Sight and Sound Theater on September the 11th. We had our solemn assembly there. We had over 1,900 people came. And I said to my wife yesterday, I said, you know, I, I didn't want that to be an event. I wanted it to be a solemn assembly. I wanted it to be a time where people broke their hearts before God. I said to Sue yesterday, I think it became an event. Grace Baptist Church, you have been faithful sending us to little kids and to top cops. We'll do it until the Lord returns. We can't do it without you. The light still shines in the darkness. I'll guarantee you it does. And it shall not be overcome. Until he comes again, pray for those who keep the peace. Father, I thank you for this time. I just pray that you might somehow distill something of what's been said to each heart and realize, Lord, that yes, we have a Savior who came, but we proclaim His light into a very dark world, even a desperate republic. And we pray you might awaken, stir, and move this church to be faithful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.